either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. We hope you're ready for another lightning round because it's going to have to be one. We've got a bunch of movies to talk about and some big movie news to talk about with the schlocketeer in the lobby. So we will get to all that. Glad you're here. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we're from MadWolf.com, starting off with a movie that follows screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz and his tumultuous development of Orson Welles' iconic masterpiece, Citizen Kane. This is Mank. I hear you're hunting dangerous game. God bless William Randolph Hearst. Ready and willing to hunt the great white whale? Just call me Ahab. Do come in. At this rate, you will never finish. You said 90 days. Well said 60. I'm doing the best I can. Who do you think you are? You're nothing but a court jester. What I want to know is why you think of it. It's a bit of a jumble. The collection of fragments that leap around in time like Mexican jumping beans. Welcome to my mind, old sock. You pick a fight with Willie. You are finished. Mayor can't save you. Nobody can. Especially the boy genius from New York. Why Hurst? Outside his own blonde Betty Boop, you're always his favorite dinner partner. Are you familiar with the parable of the organ grinder's monkey? <laughs> so if you're only going to make time for one of the 15 movies we're going to talk about today, this is the one. Yeah, this is on Netflix. It's, uh, it's safe to say it's one of our favorite movies of the year for so many reasons. We could go on and on and on about this movie. We both loved it. The main performance by Gary Oldman is is tremendous. Yeah, it really you is. You can lock in a nomination for him. I think this movie is going to have a host of nominations. Yes. It's David Fincher. He's the director, and interestingly enough, he's working from a script by his late father mm-hmm. that I think uh, David Fincher also cleaned it up a little bit, and I think he also had another writer help him. I'm forgetting the name, but anyway, it's mainly his late father's script, and it's an amazing... It really it's is. It's an amazing script. It's a, it's a love letter to the written word. It's a love letter to the movies and how, how courageous art can wield power when it speaks truth to power. It's, it's such a great movie. I mean, there's still people that, that, that argue today uh, how, how much... Of the script for Citizen Kane, Herman Mankiewicz wrote, and, and did he get help from Orson Welles? I don't know. Because they, they both got credit on the yeah, screenplay. exactly. This movie takes the view that Mankiewicz wrote it pretty much himself. And it's not only a biography of him as a flawed artist, because he was a, we see him as a, as a drinker and a gambler and a, and a maybe self-professed court jester uh, on the social circles. Not only a biography, but but a a tribute to what art can do, to the movies, to the period. I mean, the period detail is amazing. The, the look is amazing. Every, everything about it, even though you get caught up in, in what words can do here, the, the visuals that Fincher uh, conjures up to homage Citizen Kane mm-hmm. and to homage the studio system and the, and, and the era in the 30s and 40s, everything is just incredibly put together for an amazing experience, I think. Well, and the other thing I think is that it's also just an enjoyable movie. It is such a fascinating story, whether or not you are a fan of the film Citizen Kane. So Herman Mankiewicz had just come out of the hospital... Uh, having he was in a car accident, he was all broken. He had yeah. all these broken bones, and they basically kidnapped him <laughs> and just stuck him in this room where he was not allowed to go anywhere or have a drink until he <laughs> finished the the script, which originally was supposed to be ninety days. Then Orson Welles said no, sixty, and 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 that's yeah. 
you know, and then and then you leave the room as he go as there are flashbacks, which is, you know what? Normally, I hate flashbacks in movies, and these are so beautifully put together, so brilliantly created. But that's how you get out of the room as yeah. he goes back through time. But the the and, story, and the core story, the truth of it is fascinating. Yeah, and you, the flashbacks are set up by typeface on the screen as if written in a script with direction. Yep, uh, it's it's really an ingenious way to do it. And yeah, you see an early draft of the script, John Houseman, yeah. the actor John Houseman, who who's a confidant of uh, Orson Welles, comes over and says, you know, it just it just doesn't sing, which is funny because everything about this script in this oh. movie sings. Yeah, it, it does. It's so beautifully realized. Again, we could go on and on about it. The script, the uh, the cast, not only Oldman, you've got Amanda Seyfried. She's so good. And then a host of, of uh, supporting actors that you're going to recognize their faces if you don't know their names, like Charles Dance, who plays uh, William Randolph Hearst, mm-hmm. who, if you, you probably know, was the inspiration for uh, Citizen Kane. And at the time... Mankiewicz taking on a figure like that was career suicide. Right. I mean, he was taking on such a high roller. And it's just, there's so many layers to this story and, and to the movie. It's a tremendous experience. There are some theaters, I think, throughout the country showing it uh, on the big screen. We, we were lucky to find one here in Columbus. If you find one and feel safe, we would highly recommend it. Otherwise, it is on Netflix, and it's one, it's one of the best movies of the year. It's called Mank. Next up is the story of a heavy metal drummer whose life is thrown into freefall when he begins to lose his hearing. It's Sound of Metal. Your hearing is deteriorating rapidly. We'll come back. Till then, Lou, we just keep going, okay? No. Lou, no. let's play tomorrow. Let's see what it's like, okay? I'm going to be like a click track. You can play to me. You understand me? I can't. I'm deaf. I'm deaf. Well, I think this is Amazon Prime's it, uh, likeliest Oscar grab. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that he'll win, but I feel like Riz Ahmed, because Gary Oldman is going to be quite a fight. But Riz Ahmed has a great shot, I think, at an Oscar nomination for Best Actor. We've loved him for years, yes. but he's not that well known. He's so good in this movie. And it's not only his performance, but it's the, the uh, writer and director is uh, Darius Martyr. And it's the way he presents the, the hearing loss of Riz Ahmed's character that draws you in to his plight. Yeah, so he's a heavy metal drummer, and it's interesting because uh, it's not just that he's about to lose his job if he goes deaf, but the band is just him and his girlfriend. They live in a van. They tour the country. He's going to lose everything if he's not a drummer anymore. And But the other thing that's very fascinating about this is he's a, he's a recovering addict, and you get the feeling that this band probably saved his life in the first place. So there's so much on the line, but you're right. The way that the, the film is developed, so when he can't hear anything, neither can you. When he just hears echoes and whistles, so do you. And uh, when when uh, you need to know what's going on, it's captioned. And when you're supposed to be as lost as in what's going on in the world as he is, it's not captioned. It's it's very experimental, but it pays off beautifully. Yeah, Sound of Metal. It's on Amazon Prime. Highly recommend it. Next, we have a story of a filmmaker at a creative impasse seeking solace from her tumultuous past at a rural retreat, only to find that the woods summon her inner demons in intense and surprising ways. This is Black Bear. You don't think she knows what I'm up to? She's oversimplifying a lot. It's just so rare to pick a real artist's brain. How can you make something if you don't have anything to say? I have something to say. I just think the movie is the only way to say it. It's like she can't stand the fact that I have a single thought about this world. No, it's that I can't stand the thoughts about the world that you have. This has been so fun. 
Well, that description does not explain this movie at all. No, it but it's really a movie that really defies summarization, I think. Yeah, it is a kick. We got to see this at Nightmares Film Festival uh, back in October here in Columbus, and now it's getting a, a wider release, a wider streaming release. And um, it is. It's it's a story that shifts midway. When you think you, you have a handle on it, you don't. Because it starts out with the with this uh, character played by Aubrey Plaza who's trying to reignite her creative juices. And she goes to this retreat and she, she meets this couple who runs the property where she's staying. And they're getting to know each other. And the couple is played by Christopher Abbott and, and Sarah Gadon. And she's pregnant. And they just bicker at each other as they get to know Aubrey Plaza's character. And then you see there's some there's some flirting sparks going on with Aubrey Plaza and uh, the other woman's jealous. And, okay, you think you know, and then, boom, it shifts, and you get the opening scene is repeated. But now all the characters are different. Aubrey Plaza's character is an actress, and Sarah Gadon's character is an actress, and Christopher Abbott is now the director of a movie that they're shooting in the same location. And everybody's personality has changed. And it just it keeps you off guard, but it's... It's really entertaining and involving as it's it's a very obviously a personal story with writer director Lawrence Michael Levine who has made some films with his actress wife even though she's not in this movie. So you can tell it's a personal statement here, but it also leaves you plenty of room to take from it what you will. Yeah, it's also funny it where is. you don't expect it to be funny. It's very involving and it's really fun to see Aubrey Plaza play two different characters in one movie. I mean, all three of them. She's having a good year. She is having a good year. Yeah, yeah, she's really great here. All three of them are great. I think all three of them it's career high per- yeah, high I agree. points for their for their performances, but uh and it leads to a finale that might feel a little a little underwhelming, but I think the main point here is the journey you know the trail, sure. not not yep. where it leads, but I think it really is really entertaining, and it leaves you plenty of room to uh, to come up to your to come up with your own conclusions. And if you've ever spent any time around filmmakers or been on a movie set whatsoever, you will even get more of a kick out of some of the humor here. And uh, even though I wouldn't call it strictly a comedy, I wouldn't no. call it. Uh, it's it's. It's really a, morphs. Yeah, it, it, it even, does. It even has some some little bit of a um, horrific tendency, vibe, tendency anyway. vibe that made it. That's why it's played at Nightmares Film Festival. So it's really hard to pin down, but that's a good thing. But we recommend Black Bear streaming this week. New on Disney Plus is the story of a young and unskilled fairy godmother venturing out on her own to prove her worth by tracking down a young girl whose request for help was ignored. It's godmothered. <laughs> I'm looking for a sad little girl named Mackenzie Walsh. That is me. No, it can't be you. You're old. Have you seen yourself? Security. Me again? <gasps> I'm your fairy godmother. Back off, lady. Morning. <gasps> oh, good. You're awake, too. Life isn't always a fairy tale. I came all this way to help you find your heart's desire. You know what you need. The makeover. What? <gasps> I know you want to help, but... Life isn't as simple as happily ever after. Fine. After all, nine out of ten fairy tales begin with once upon a time something amazing happened while she was drinking wine in her sweatpants. <laughs> I've been trapped in the fairy tale when the real world is full of so much more. 
Well, this is interesting for a couple of reasons. It's it's Disney sort of taking on their own formula for all these fairy godmother movies and fairy princesses and things, and it's got a really nice lead performance by Jillian Bell and, and a supporting performance by Isla Fisher, and it's got some eye-rolling moments for sure, but I think in the end it's good holiday viewing for the family, and I think it redeems a lot of itself at the end. I, I was I was impressed by the ending. Yeah, I think one of the things that drew us into this in the first place, well, we love Jillian Bell, and Isla Fisher is always good, and she's always very funny, but also June Squibb and Jane Curtin. I know. You know, I mean, that's a way to round it out. So they're the old school godmothers, and they're funny. Of course they are, because they always are. And there are, it's, it's pretty uh, telegraphed, a lot of it really is, but it's kind of nice the way they do upend their own history of fairy tales. Uh, I thought, you know, it's safe and enjoyable to watch with the family. Yeah, exactly. And it's the director is Sharon McGuire, who's done a couple of the uh, Bridget Jones yep. movies. And if you have Disney+, Plus, again, it's one of those probably that won't offend you too much to be put on repeat, maybe if the kids like it. But if they do like and gravitate toward those fairy princess kind of movies, this will give a, a, a little different way to think about them. Right. Which I think is, is worthwhile. So that's Godmothered out now on Disney+. Plus. Let's go to a sci-fi thriller next. Attempting to surpass his father's legacy, a reclusive neuroscientist becomes entangled in his own experiment, pitting ten fragments of his consciousness against each other. It's called Minor Premise. Last night I had a breakthrough, but it left my consciousness forever. So now there are ten of us. Section one, anxiety. Section two, anger. We know that section five is intellect. So we just need section eight. You want to escalate this? Oh, <laughs> If you do this, the whole you will be lost. Why are you in this room? How are you doing, Ethan? I'm great. I love a good bad scientist movie, George. <laughs> yeah, and this is a good one. If you, you like sci-fi, sci-fi thrillers, this is it's smart and it's tense. It's by director and co-writer Eric Schultz. This is his uh, feature debut. And it is, yeah, it's a scientist. I wouldn't call him mad, but he's, he's kind of under the gun because he's in his father's shadow. And he's working on improving consciousness in a way that he thinks he, he can map memories and emotions. And hopefully one day he's hoping to stamp out things like Alzheimer's and PTSD and maybe even construct consciousness. It's pretty freaky stuff when you start thinking about it. But anyway, he goes full Brundlefly, and he <laughs> experiments on himself. Sure and he does. that's not a good idea, it's right? It's not. So it does. It splinters his consciousness into ten different segments. Every, There's the madness. There it is. Everything from euphoria to psychotic and everything in between, and they operate at six-minute intervals. So in an hour, he's got all ten, and they just rotate. And then his colleague and former flame comes over, and helps him try to get back to default setting of his own before the clock runs out and he becomes permanently reset on just one of these personalities. And it, it really is. It's effective. It's well done. It becomes pretty much a, a two-man or one-man, one-woman play in one setting, his his house trying to work with this machine. And the lead performances, uh, Ethan, the doctor, is Satya Sridharan. I hope I pronounced that right. Probably not. And then Patton... Ashbrook is the uh, woman, and she's actually the daughter of Lorenzo Lamas, oh. by the way. Anyway, they're good together, and if you've ever seen the, the great 
movie from 2004, Primer, about time travel. Mm-hmm. This is this movie is going to remind you of, of that a lot, and and that's not a bad thing. No. Um, so there are a couple of times when you might have to suspend disbelief a little bit, but uh, it's well it's well paced, well edited. I think the editing mm-hmm. here is is really helps toward uh, keeping it rolling, and it, it really keeps you engaged. If you like the sci-fi, a good sci-fi thriller, this will deliver. And it is uh, at oh, actually you can find it not only streaming, but you can find it on the virtual screening room of our own Gateway Film Center here in Columbus, Ohio. That is gatewayfilmcenter.org. And that is Minor Premise, another goodie. Who's up for some Irish punk music? This next one is a celebration of Irish punk poet Shane McGowan, composer and lead singer with the Pogues, combining unpublished archive footage and family footage with animation. It's called Crock of Gold. Shane McGowan, the visionary, one of the finest writers of the century. And then they went on a world tour. It was nice to be excited. I didn't think was wrong. So this is from documentarian Julian Temple. Yeah. And, you know, he, well, he's made music videos, of course, for eons and eons, but he's also done an awful lot of punk rock docs, including several on the Sex Pistols. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's got one real intimate one with Joe Strummer. And so this is just really Shane McGowan kind of crashing that party. And what's interesting about this movie is that punk rockers die early. You know what I mean? They, they live hard. They don't live that long. And and Shane McGowan, this is what it looks like when the, you do. Because, it, you know, as it opens, he is being wheeled out for a 60th birthday party, which is on Christmas Day. It's, it's going to happen in Ireland. And uh, he's in a wheelchair. And he's he slurs and he kind of has his head tipped to one side. I mean, he clearly... He's been beaten up by this life that he's lived. But one of the things I really loved about this movie is the way that Temple never shies away from that. Modern-day Shane McGowan is basically in almost every scene. If he's not physically on the screen, he's listening as you're listening. Mm-hmm. And it's this, this constant reminder of, you know, the beginning and end. It's the wildness of his life. It's the genius of his life. It's, it's all of these clashing ideas and ideals that he used to create an amazing type of music that was basically just his own. And also, as you're watching all of this insanity take place, he's there currently to remind you, and this is the result of that misspent life. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's a good time to put it out because not only is it his birthday, but it's the time of year where people that don't listen to the Pogues end up listening to the Pogues because his Christmas song gets a lot of play. It does, and they talk about that in this movie as well. You know, I was always a Pogues fan. I was always a Shane McGowan fan. And I think that lifelong fans of this man who is an unbelievable songwriter they're going you're going to love this movie you know and i think that you know even if you have a passing interest in rock docs and particularly punk rock because he was such a part of that history long before he was in the pokes this is just an interesting film yeah it's called crock of gold a few rounds with shane mcgowan it is streaming and you can also find it in the virtual screening room at gatewayfilmcenter.org Next up, we go to 1984. Outside a small-town nightclub, a group of 8th graders gather grappling with a spate of recent suicides, UFO sightings, their absentee parents, and each other. It's called 18 to Party. You guys heard about the UFOs, eh? There aren't any UFOs. It's like a NASA thing now. If the government's involved, then we're all fucked. It's fucking Reagan. 7th died last year. I mean, it really is jinxed here. Coincidence. Things aren't jinxed. I don't think things are jinxed. Do you think they're UFOs? I don't think Brighton's jinxed. I just think that's what people want to believe. I'm not the one who went to Aaron Palmer's summer party. Shut up, Kira. And made such a mess. There's no UFO.
Eighth graders in 1984. Now, is that you exactly? Uh, Pretty darn close. Yeah. No, it, it is. I know. It's funny. The Shane McGowan documentary and then this one, I felt like, well, these movies were just served up directly for me. And they're in a small, crappy town, and they have nothing to do, and so they're just hanging out trying to get into a bar and drink. And I thought, I might know these kids. <laughs> I was in college then. I would have gotten you in. <laughs> <laughs> it is a really fun film. It's got a very link later vibe about it. You know, you just spend one evening with these kids and they have to sit out back behind the club. The high school kids are lined up out front hoping that the bouncer will let them in. But these kids have to sit in the back parking lot and hope that Rizzo, the bouncer, is eventually going to be Rizzo. nice enough to let them in to drink <laughs> underage, which is something we did in the 80s. Uh, and it's, you know, and that's the whole thing is just this sort of time that they're wasting with each other and hanging out and talking about different stuff. It's such a great encapsulization of that kind of the way that optimism and promise and just sort of the dogged nature of a no nowhere to go town come together in such a it would be I think a depressing way if it weren't for the natural exuberance and giddiness of 14 you know <laughs> they're trying to figure out who they are and what whether it's okay to be who they are mm-hmm. and and it just unfolds in a very organic way I thought the movie was a lot of fun it's writer director Jeff Rhoda and it's 18 to party streaming now do some more sci-fi next. The 16-year-old girl returns home from camp and learns that her mother has a new boyfriend, one she intends to marry, a man whose charm, intelligence, and beauty make him look like he's not human at all. It's called What Lies Below. You're kind of a, a weird dude. I guess I am. But, I mean, weird is cool, right? I saw you walk into the lake towards his light. I'm pretty dry. I love him so, so much. So If we're going to be a family, we have to learn how to forgive and forget. Right, Libs? Get off of him! Well, if Minor Premise was a little more sci-fi than horror, this one is a little more horror than sci-fi. But it definitely has sci-fi going on. And it is writer-director Brandon R. Doomler. And it features a great, a great I would call her the lead performance, playing the 16-year-old girl, Emma Horvath. And uh, she ends up finding out that her mother's boyfriend is, yeah, he's, he's really strange. They're at their lake house. He's always there. He's always been there. That's where he met... Uh, the girl's mother, played by Mina Savari. And uh, he says he's an aquatic geneticist. But, you know, he's really interested in parasites, especially the parasites that can attack and attach and adapt to any host. And things get creepy, and uh, the boyfriend is played by Trey Tucker. And it's basically just the three of them mm-hmm. as the young girl starts getting closer and closer to the truth and having to fight for not only her life, but her mother's life as well. And it's not great, but it's it's satisfying. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are there are some creepy atmospherics about it. Again, uh, Emma Horvath's performance is really believable, and I and I will give even though if you've seen some of this before and it has to skimp a little bit, you can tell that it was uh, it didn't have the biggest budget. Sure, it has to skimp on the creature features a little bit, but it really reminded me of sort of a minor league under the skin. Right, reminded of the one yeah. with uh, Scarlett Johansson. Oh my that god, was so, so good. Great. This is sort of a minor league uh, version of that movie, and but I will give credit too that at the end it, it doesn't. It doesn't cop out. You know, he sees this vision through to the end. So if you like this sort of stuff, I think you'll uh, have a good time with What Lies Below. It's also streaming now.
Next up is a film set in a war-torn post-apocalyptic region with a bunch of kids who suffer from deformed limbs due to a toxic explosion embarking on an adventure. This is Girl with No Mouth. because it's the latest from uh, co-writer and director Can Evernall, and he did a really brutal horror movie we love called Baskin. Loved it. This is nowhere near that level of extreme, but it's really interesting. It is, and in fact, uh, it's it's almost like a family film. It isn't. Yeah. Don't watch it with your family. <laughs> but it has that sort of, you know, Peter Pan, Goonies-esque kind of kids on an adventure feel about it. And it doesn't lose that. It's very true to that. The vibe is very true to that. Now, the fact is they're in a post-apocalyptic world. There is a lot of death and a lot of gunplay and some bloodshed around them, certainly. There are some maggots. Um, and each one of these four children is suffering from a particular deformity because of what happened post-apocalyptically. Uh, and so, and so then the, the, the company, what they call the company, the company that has been responsible, they want to remove all evidence that anything like this happens. So these kids are being hunted down and they have to keep fleeing people who are hunting them. But that's their adventure. You right. know, it's like the way that the, the, the film is so true to that youthful adventure, you know, the way they're interpreting the world around them. It's so upbeat. And it's definitely still a bit of a horror film, but I I just I just really loved, the, I think it's an almost impossible tone to hit. And man, he hits it. It really is. You think you get that Peter Panish vibe in such a totally different setting yeah. with real consequences, real life and death consequences going Going on at a moment's notice. I mean, there is some surprise bursts of violence, but uh, yeah, we enjoyed it. Girl with no mouth, and it's streaming now. Here we've got children, children liberated from a Nazi concentration camp, having to overcome hunger, thirst, and vicious dogs in an abandoned mansion surrounded by the forest. This is Werewolf. <laughs> These are good to talk about back-to-back because there is real similarity in the two films between this one and Girl With No Mouth. There's a Lord of the Flies feeling that hangs over this whole movie. And what I loved, loved, loved about it, besides the fact that it's absolutely gorgeous, it's so beautifully filmed in this this crumbling mansion or out in the woods or even the brutality in the concentration camp. And the performances are great and the, the story is very smart. But what I love the most is the faith that this filmmaker puts in children, you know? And I think that it could have gone in a direction that would have been punishing. And instead, it actually turns out to be a very, like a really uplifting and wonderful film. It's writer-director Adrian Panic, And it's interesting, every now and then we have a movie that we put up a review and it just gets much more instant interest than we really thought it would have. And it, and this is one. Yeah, it is. Right it away, absolutely like, is. Boom. Well, and then the Pogues one, too. Yeah. The Pogues <laughs> one, that got a lot of instant interest. And so did this. So there's a, definitely a, a, a buzz out there about it. And uh, it might be worth checking out for you. It's called Werewolf. And it is a foreign film. It is a foreign language film. It is. Uh, and it is streaming now. Another horror flick next, a bereaved Satanist couple kidnap a pregnant woman so they can use an ancient spell book to put their dead grandson's spirit into her unborn child. But they end up summoning more than they bargained for. This is Anything for Jackson. 
Assuming you've seen some ghosts, huh? No one has more time than a grieving family. We can do this. He's coming back to us. This is a Shutter film, and you know, uh, just like a couple of the other ones that we've talked about today, it's a very small cast. It's it's basically for almost the whole film. It's just these three people in this house. Yes, and I've been holding my tongue this whole time, waiting for this moment to remind you the woman, the main woman of the three, Sheila McCarthy. Mm -hmm. You know who she is? No. She is the news reporter from Die Hard 2. <laughs> can't believe I didn't know that. <laughs> you know who I'm talking about, though, right? Yeah, yeah. I do. Okay. Yeah. So she's... <laughs> You're so underwhelmed. And I'm so proud of myself, not mentioning that all week. But, uh, yeah, it becomes, again, like we've had a couple of these movies this week, sort of a very tight-knit cast. It could almost be a, a play, almost. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what happens is they unleash more than they've bargained for. But I think, and, and so all of these sort of supernatural, weird, spooky things happen, and it leads to, you know, a very tense, climactic moment. And all of that works. All of that works really well for this film. But the thing that kills you is the couple. This older couple. They're so sweet. They're so believable. And they're so devoted to each other that you're rooting for them, even though you know you shouldn't be what they're trying to do is quite awful <laughs> yeah. but they're just so lovely uh, the uh sheila mccarthy is the uh the woman and um her spouse is julian richings they're so good and it's a shutter movie and and i just think it's it's a hard movie to dislike anything for jackson it's on shutter now check it out now we've got a few that were covered by our other writers at MadWolf.com. The first is when British aid worker Hannah returns to the ancient city of Luxor, she meets former lover Sultan. As she wanders, haunted by the familiar place, she struggles to reconcile the choices of the past with the uncertainty of the present. It's Luxor. Where were you? I don't know. I don't remember much these days. Are you going back? I think one falls in love with the place and has to keep on coming back. Yeah, I think you might be right. The old world is dying. And the new world struggles to be born. Don't you miss how hopeful we were? I wish you could be like that. This is from writer-director Zena Dura, and the written review was done by Matt Wiener. Uh, at MadWolf.com, and he loved it. He did love it. Well, first of all, Andrea Riceboro, you cannot go wrong there. She's another one. Man, she's having a great year. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he he thought it was a little bit like, in a certain way, the trip movies, where yeah. it's basically these two people, you know, in this foreign location, kind of touristy. But and not this, a comedy. No, not a comedy. not a comedy. At the same time, but it's just sort of grappling with middle age. And yeah. that's, it's a very meditative, interesting, and beautifully shot film. Yeah, he uh, he gave it four stars out of five. You can check out his written review at madwolf.com. And that is Luxor streaming now. And next is the story of a New York family imploding over three days as they careen through midlife and quarter-life crises. King of Knives. I remember thinking that anyone over 50 was ancient. And here I am. Don't be melodramatic. Oh. I'm just sitting back and letting life do what it does. No! Can I read your cards? King of Knives. 
go home. Whatever you're torturing yourself about, it's not worth it. He's not a child. Yes, he is. I just want to run away from everything. All relationships have as much hate as they do love. And without the former, you can't appreciate the latter. Are you having a breakdown? Definitely. This one, Brandon Thomas reviewed for us, and he thought it was great as well. It's another midlife crisis film, but he says that what's really interesting about this movie is the way that it attacks your notions of midlife crisis movies, of people who have all the money in the world, who are completely comfortable. Why do I care that they hit this bitter spot in the middle of their lives? He says that it, it, they just take it head on. They make it very funny and wise and absolutely worth seeing. Yeah, and once again, uh, Brandon's review is at madwolf.com. Another foreign film next, this one from Brazil. A woman uses her bureaucratic job to convince divorcing couples to stay together and is utterly committed to getting pregnant by her husband in a future of dance parties, ritualistic orgies, and fundamentalist Christianity. It's called Divine Love. Era festa do amor supremo. A redenção do corpo. This was reviewed at MadWolf.com by Kat McAlpine, and she also enjoyed this one. Yeah, it's first of all the the color, the the way that it's lit. I mean, it's such an interesting, vibrant, beautiful, weird, imaginative future. Very much unlike the one that Can Avernal thought that we were going, we may see. <laughs> um, and it's such a bizarre clash of these different ideas of fundamental Christianity and of orgies and of sort of drive-through pastors. She just thought the whole thing really worked well, had a lot of interesting things to say about uh, feminism and uh, and the future. And uh, this is one that you can watch in the virtual screening room at the Wexner Center at wexarts.org. Yeah, another winner. We've got pretty much nothing but winners this week. And let's finish up with one that is irresistible for this time of year. It's a film that shines a light on the 100-year-old Operation Santa program of the United States Postal Service. It's called Dear Santa. Dear Santa. Dear Santa. Dear Santa. Santa gets quite a few letters. We will send those to the North Pole today. Santa needs elves because this is a really big world, and he can't possibly do it all himself. The more children there are, the harder it was to answer all the letters. You'll never know how you benefited someone's life. It's nice to feel remembered and to know that people still care. This is a documentary from writer-director Dana Nachman, reviewed at MadWolf.com by Rachel Willis. And come on. It's kids writing letters to Santa that are answered by the Postal Service. You, you can't go wrong here. Oh, no. It is. It's lovely. It, it renews your faith in humanity. It makes you realize that we don't appreciate the USPS as much as we can. And it's such a great way to prep for the holiday. Yeah, and that's streaming now. The written review from Rachel Willis at MadWolf.com. Off to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby, talking with Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer, and that bomb you heard go off earlier this week is the news from Warner Brothers. And uh, that's really the, the main bit of movie news this week, um, Daniel. And it's, and it's a big it's a big one. It's massive. I know we had already figured that this would happen with at least a couple of their movies over the next year. 
I don't think any of us <laughs> expected them to just flat out say that every 2021 release will follow the Wonder Woman 1984 platform, which is first 30 days of release, it will be in theaters and on HBO Max. After that point, it'll be in theaters for another 30 days and then start going to VOD around day 61 or so. Yeah, there's wild. Just, it is. And there's just so many questions as soon as this, this came out, one of which... The, the, at least the, one of the biggest ones for me is I started thinking about all the people, the directors, producers of, of, of all these movies. Did they know? Did they have any say? I mean, how does this happen? Were they caught off guard? I would imagine at least some of them were given notice simply because you have to imagine, at least on some of the bigger films, that a lot of these directors and stars have back-end deals. Right. right. Do which are going to be affected yeah. by this. Yeah. So I don't know if those have all been renegotiated. I mean, I would have to imagine like someone like Gal Gadot had her Wonder Woman back in deal renegotiated before sure. that was all made. Yeah. And I know the exhibitors on the theatrical side of this equation are apparently going to be getting a higher percentage of the uh, ticket dollar amount as a result of all of this. So I would assume the directors and um, stars have been or will be given a chance to renegotiate back in deals any, anyone who has back-end points, but beyond that, I mean, who knows? And who knows how, how well this will pan out for uh, most of these films in the long run, because, you know, you've got some franchise movies here that whether or not they continue on beyond their upcoming film next year will depend greatly on how successful they are, and it's a lot harder to measure success when you're leaning so much on streaming. Yeah, and you know this is this is such a big piece of news. We could probably talk about it for the whole podcast. But I think something that you, I saw you say you you had a, a conversation going uh, on Facebook, and what you said is something that I've said about this uh, for a long time, and I know Hope agrees. They're going to have to adapt. It's a new world now. It's a new business model. It always makes me think of how the record business had to react to Napster when Napster first came out and all that. It's just, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's here. There, it's, whether it was brought on by the pandemic or sped up by the pandemic, it's here. You just have to adapt. And I think they will. This is part of it. Yeah, I, I think they will, too. And, you know, a lot of this stuff between this and then other things we can talk about at a later date, a lot of this stuff was going to happen slowly eventually. Yeah. It's just that the pandemic just right. hit the gas hard on all of it and just made it all happen at once. So it seems more chaotic and perhaps even a little catastrophic than it actually is. And, yeah, you're right. They're going to have to adapt. Theaters adapted to television. You know, they adapted to home video. They've adapted to streaming over the past decade. And for better or worse, they'll have to adapt to this. Obviously, some big changes are going to happen as a result of it. Some aspects of the business are going to go away. Others are going to rise up. It's, it's just a melting pot of change that we're going to be dealing with for the next few years. Yeah, and don't get us wrong. I mean, both of us love theaters. We yes. love the theater experience. Yes, we we do. don't want any theaters to go out of business. But <clears throat> it's, there's just a new reality now, and unfortunately, some of them will. Yeah. Yeah, I said it elsewhere. I wouldn't be surprised if we see, you know, everyone's already used to having an ongoing Netflix membership or Amazon Prime or Hulu or Disney Plus or whatever. And some theater chains already have their own memberships. You know, AMC, Alamo, Regal, Cinemark, they all have monthly memberships or you can buy an annual one to a degree and i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of theaters end up doing that as well obviously it'll be harder for the independent ones to do it but i wouldn't be surprised if they lean into the subscription membership side of things to help stave this off a little bit 
Yeah. So obviously this is going to be a story and a, and a subject that we will revisit come uh, 2021 for sure. <laughs> and you can always get the latest news from Daniel at the Schlocketeer. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks again. Whew, the lightning round is a workout. <laughs> I'll tell you what, covering a lot, but uh, got to get it done. We look forward to next week. Looks like a little bit less populated. But big movies. Big movies. We had, like we said, we had pretty much all winners this week, I which think is that, good. Not, I mean, because there was, we did 15 movies, mm-hmm. and the lowest score anything got was three, three. stars. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's 15 yeah. recommendations. That's a big week. No stinkers. But next week, we're looking forward to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Can't tell you how much. Mm-hmm. Prom. Also, Wild Mountain Time. The Stand-In. Wander Darkly. I'm Your Woman. Finding Ying Ying. Queer Japan. And Modern Persuasion. That's for next week. Might be something else or two pop up. You never know. <laughs> that happens. In the meantime, let us let know what you thought about any of uh, the many films from this week. Mank, so great. Sound of Metal, list goes on and on. We'd love to hear from you. Keep the conversation going, as always. On our Twitter page, you can find us at Mad Wolf. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And the main website where you can find all of our written reviews and the written reviews from our other writers and our horror movie-only podcast with a new episode this week, by the way, called Fright Club. That's all at MadWolf.com. So thank you so much for stopping by. Do us a favor, if you would, and subscribe, rate, and review. Very much appreciated. Until next week, hope you're having a great holiday season. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs>